All right, well, happy Memorial Day weekend to you all. It started off kind of nice, didn't it? Nice weather, beats all the rain we've been having, right? Do you feel Memorial Day weekend? Do you? I, I don't get the sense that you're feeling Memorial Day weekend. Who has an extended weekend? There you go. Now we got some participation. Some hands are raising. I didn't get any acknowledgments verbally, but I got some hands actually raising because this is Memorial Day weekend, right? What do you know about Memorial Day weekend? Here, let me tell you what you know about it. Memorial Day weekend is commonly known as the unofficial beginning of summer, isn't it? I mean, this what seems to happen. I mean, the kids are out of school finally, right? I don't have to worry about transporting them kids back and forth to school. I don't have a summer out. Thank you. I have to be doing other stuff, but not transporting children. There's no teachers in school anymore. All that is over with. Kids are out of school. Mothers now are frantically thinking, what am I going to do with all these kids during the summertime? Because kids are out of school. Because it's Memorial Day weekend, it begins what we think of summer vacation. Now, also at the same time, it seems to be, the city pools begin to open, if you're into that kind of thing. I don't know how to swim, so I don't go. Campgrounds are become very populated throughout the weekend into the following summer. There is all kinds of racing happening. Went to a race last night in Putnamville. Kyle Cummins won the race last night from Princeton, Indiana. Yeah. He'll be racing again tonight at Tri-State Speedway, by the way. But there's the Indianapolis 500 starting actually right now. There is the Coca-Cola 600 this afternoon. Racing is amongst us, but also ushers in the beginning of the summer. There is probably going to be a few backyard barbecues with family and friends. If not today, then probably tomorrow sometime. I mean, there's so much more that's happening. It's the unofficial beginning of summer. It is the extended weekend. There's, there's this great weather now. The rain has passed us. It's probably going to come back in. We don't want to talk about that for the yard sale, but it's the beginning of summer, right? Who's with me? Are you excited about Memorial Day weekend? There I go. Now I'm starting to feel a little bit. It is the unofficial beginning of summer, Memorial Day weekend. But Memorial Day in itself is much, much more than what people now associate as the unofficial beginning of summer. Memorial Day itself is a public legal holiday in the United States of America and among its armed forces serving wherever they are worldwide. And it honors then U.S. citizens who have died in war, fighting for the very freedoms that we get to enjoy each and every day. If you've looked anything up about Memorial Day, you may already know it was originally known as Decorations Day when it was originally set aside to honor those who died in the Civil War. Later on, it was expanded to include all those U.S. citizens, men and women who were fighting that died in the war, defending our great country. National observance is marked officially by placing of a wreath on the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington National Cemetery in Virginia. One of the commentaries or sources I was looking up said, the purpose for, for this holiday is remembering and of strewing the flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in the defense of our country. It is a holiday for us to simply remember the price that was paid for our freedom. And we certainly want to do that at some point throughout this weekend. Probably better into tomorrow as that is the actual day that we celebrate Memorial Day. 
pause and reflect upon those families who may not have the person with them that actually gave their life for the freedom that we enjoy each and every day. That's the essence of Memorial Day. But it's commonly known as simply the beginning of summer. But as we think about Memorial Day, just that word itself, memorial, gives us a chance to maybe reflect upon Scripture that we do today and look into Joshua and find and talk about memorials in itself. Because we'll find today that we have reason. We have reason in our lives to build a memorial. That's the message we have today for us to have a blessing and subsequently upon the blessing to even erect or build a memorial. The text we look at today is found in Joshua chapter 4. Stand with me this morning. If we read the first nine verses of Joshua, Joshua's recording in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. But then verse 4, Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel, in verse 8, did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua, verse 9, set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there, and they are there to this day. Father, Lord, we thank you this morning, Lord, for how we can gather here freely and how we can just come together. And we take a moment, Lord, with the freedom that we have to just pause and reflect upon perhaps sometimes the freedom we take for granted. We're truly blessed, Lord, in this country. We're truly blessed as individuals, as Americans, as Christians. So, Lord, today we pause and reflect upon those families who had men and women, their sons and daughters who perhaps did not come home to give us that freedom. Let us not take that for granted, Lord. Let us today reflect upon that family, those families, and even into tomorrow, Lord, just honor that. Reflect upon that. Let us also then be attuned to the text we have here today, which is telling us about Joshua and the 12 tribes and these men who erected the memorial. Let's take that text, Lord, and we begin to apply it to our lives and see that when we have a blessing, when we have a significant event that happens in our lives, that perhaps it means that we should also build a memorial as it helps us remember the blessing that you've given us. So lead and guide and direct us here this day, Lord. 
Let this time be our, yours to give to us your message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as perhaps you may have discerned from the text as we read it together, there's two heaps of stones that were set up as memorials of Israel's crossing the Jordan River. You have in verses 1 through 8 the 12 stones that was actually placed at Gilgal, and then 12 stones placed by Joshua in the midst of the river, which is pronounced in verse 9. Now, Joshua, then in the text, as we read that, is given very specific instructions from no one but the Lord to select 12 men and have these stones to be placed at Gilgal. Now, it doesn't reveal for that for us that is the name of the place they lost in the first nine verses we read of chapter 4, but actually reveals the location later in verse 19. But most likely, these 12 men were men that Joshua had previously selected, that he now comes back to, to tell them the instructions that are given to him by the Lord to erect this memorial. So when these 12 men then reached the midst of the river, we find in the text that each picked up a large stone and carried it then eight miles to the place where they lodged of Gilgal, where they made the camp for the night. So we hear that begin to maybe summarize the account we read in Joshua chapter 4. A fair question maybe asked then is this. What again are these stones exactly commemorating? And to answer that question, we have to go back for a little bit to the third chapter, the previous chapter, particularly verse 11, which refers to the Ark of the Covenant. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 11, it says, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now we'll expand in just a moment. Before we expand further and do more reading from chapter 3, we stop again and say, well, what is exactly then the Ark of the Covenant? Another great question. And the Ark of the Covenant was one of the most instrumental symbols of faith of God's presence. The contents of which included the tables of the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments, a pot of manna, which God provided for the people in the wilderness wandering about, and the rod of Aaron. The ark's origin stemmed from Exodus 25.10, when Odes was commanded by God to make an ark of acacia wood. This is known as the Ark of the Covenant. Now going back to the third chapter, it reveals for us that not merely then is the fact that the Ark of the Covenant is passing over to Jordan. But the miracle that actually occurs, it's mentioned in verse chapter 4, but it's more specifically given in chapter 3. So in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, It shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from the upstream, they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan. But the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, we know what that is now. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water, and the inserts here for us to know, the Jordan overflows at this time of the year, during the time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still. It just stopped flowing. In verse 17, Then the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. 
And then all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over to Jordan. Now, as you hear that, and then maybe read that with me together, notice that there, this is a miracle that's happening again as we sign similarly to maybe the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, there seems to be some similarities. When you hear this account, you can't help but wonder and think back to how it was a parting of the Red Sea. And yes, they are similar in nature. But in this particular miracle, this is a moment where we have the crossing of the Jordan River at flood stage, as inserted by the text to tell us it's not just after, I mean, it's not its normal river at this moment. It's during the harvest time, it's exceeding the banks. So about the moment that that's occurring, the water miraculously stops as the feet touch the dip of the water. They dip in there, it touches the water, and it just stops. And as it stops, just don't think there's a couple of people like us gathering that crosses over the river. It's approximately 2 million people then that crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And again, just echo some things happening with the parting of the Red Sea. But it's significant. And it's a moment in Israeli history where God was glorified. So it was important now, as the Lord commands Joshua, that he should never forget this miracle that occurred. So the Israelites then because they want to remember how God acted on their behalf, parting the Jordan, it was a historic day. He had to erect a monument, a 12-stone memorial. Okay, all right, so what? Well, ultimately then, the stones were served in this memorial, a testimony or a witness that God honors faith and works on behalf of those who trust him. Don't let that pass over too quickly. Let me say it again. These stones that we find here in this text pertaining to the Jordan and the priest, the 12 men, it would serve as a memorial, a testimony, or a witness that God honors faith and works on behalf of those who trust in Him. That's the central theme of the entire text. But as we think about memorials or erecting a memorial or a monument, and things of that nature. It's interesting, this is not the only time in Scripture where you can find a memorial being erected in the Bible. I mean, many references in Scripture exist of people who, at that particular moment of doing whatever they were doing, they stopped and they erected a monument or a memorial. Often in Scripture, it's recorded as an altar. Now, we tend to think of an altar as a place of sacrifice, and sometimes it is that. But there are a few instances where they erected an altar simply as a monument or memorial, such as in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, when Abraham built an altar because God appeared to him and said, To you, descendants, I will give this land. Or in Exodus 17, when Moses built an altar and called his name, The Lord is my banner. Or maybe in Judges chapter 6, when Gideon built an altar because he had seen the angel of the Lord. And we could name numerous more. But we single upon this one in Joshua chapter 4 because to me it's a bit intriguing. I mean, when Joshua led the people of Israel across the River Jordan, it, to me it's, it, it's just intriguing that this water is flowing, surpassing its banks, it just stopped flowing. At the precise moment the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, 
as they begin to step into the water on the river's edge, it just stopped flowing. I mean, to me, it's just such a wonderful story of God's goodness, his provisions, his faithfulness, and the promises then that he offers to every one of us. Which then in turn allows us, as we hear the story and begin to understand the text, it allows us to then to stop, slow down, and for us then to reflect upon our blessings that we have in our lives, and maybe even think about building a memorial. Now, you may be hearing and thinking, okay, I know God has blessed me. I could even begin to think back now to maybe some blessings that already occurred this year. But are you seriously telling me as a blessing that I've been given from God that I should maybe build or erect a memorial? And yes, that's exactly what we're saying. Because a memorial helps us keep a memory of something significant that has happened in our lives it keeps it alive in our hearts and our minds. I mean, as we alluded to earlier, all throughout the Bible, God has ordained that there would be memorials and altars and such. I mean, he actually has instituted the practice of building and having memorials in our lives. I mean, likewise, then we should go about doing something similar. I mean, I mean, commemorate a special blessing or some miracle that's happened in our lives. We should not just Okay, God, thank you. You maybe dismiss it too quickly, but to maybe do something special as a result of that, that would be a witness to others of what God has done for us and of how we're truly blessed. I mean, in a biblical sense, a memorial is a sacrifice or a monument or an event that brings us into remembrance of something that God has done at some point in the journey of our lives. So then it stands to reason that when you are a recipient of God's favor or a blessing has occurred to you, something of significance, that memorial is worth building so that you can remember that very special moment. Because too soon, too easily, we sometimes forget. So if all that then explained and understood and maybe planted the thought in your mind about how we should maybe erect a memorial, let me give you now three reasons in which we should build a memorial. Three reasons that maybe we should take an opportunity sometime in the near future to erect or build a memorial. And the first one is this. The fact that we need memorials to help us share our faith with our children. We need a memorial to help us share our faith. And before we expand upon this point, let us stop and recognize that, interestingly, when it comes to building a memorial, two significant impacts can occur. Number one is that it can increase your own faith. Or secondly, it can be that you increase the faith of others. I mean, as I've already mentioned, at times we forget the things that God has done for us. We may not even recognize it as a blessing at that moment. It may trigger later that that was a blessing from God. But later on after that, we may even forget completely what it was. Because we have such busy lives, we tend to forget blessings given to us. So building a memorial can then remind us of the special blessing. And in somehow, some way, we've gone some time without a blessing. And we begin to lose some sort of faith. When we see it, it can actually then increase or restore our faith. But other times, it may encourage the faith of other people. 
maybe even institute or create an opportunity for us to share our faith with someone else. So it's interesting that they can have that particular introduction into something that can be as simply a memorial. And so while that's a fascinating side point of building a memorial, the point actually tells us we go back to now that we need to build a memorial to simply share our faith with our children. I mean, the first point specifically encourages to erect a memorial to share our faith with our children. So i got to ask the questions that helps us understand the first point. The first question is this. How involved are you with your children or maybe even your grandchildren with their activities and more specifically their faith? How involved are you with your children and grandchildren in their faith? Or another question, do you look for opportunities to share your faith with your children or your grandchildren? Two questions that we need to ask ourselves to think about the first point of why we need to build a memorial, to share our faith with our children. Two important questions to ask ourselves because I found an old Newsmax article that said that children that have parents heavily involved in their life are much more likely to be educationally successful, economically successful, and morally upright than children who do not. Now, when you really think about that, it's like a duh moment because it seems to make sense. People who have children who have parents who are actively engaged in their lives, even with their faith, are more educationally, economically successful. And they're just pitted people all around. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, what that really demonstrates is that children, even though they'll tell you they're not, are most influenced by their parents. We don't have that many younger children in here. We've got college-age students in the room. Most of the younger kids have already left the room. And if you talk to them later, they're going to act like they have nothing they want to do with you, particularly teenagers. But children are actually most influenced by their parents. They're going to tell you they want less parental involvement. But recent studies have shown that they actually want boundaries and interaction and involvement by the parents. Now, they may set a cap on it, on how much they want to receive, but they actually like some boundaries and some limits and some things of interaction with their parents. Maybe you heard the old expression that said, families that pray together stay together. Absolutely true. Years ago, A.T. Pearson did a study on two families. One was the Jukes family. One was the Edwards family. His study was remarkably what was found in his findings. He said the Jukes family, he studied them first, did some research. He said it was known for its long line of criminals. He said a total of 1,200 descendants were studied and traced of which 400 were physically abused. 310 became wards of the state. 130 were convicted criminals, and seven committed murder. He said out of the 20 of the 1,200, only 20 ever learned a trade, and half of those learned that trade in prison. That's the Jukes family. A long last of criminals who he concluded just lacked parental involvement. On the other hand, he studied the Edwards family, Jonathan Edwards' family. 
a great preacher from the 18th century. He traced their family and found that of the 400 descendants of the Edwards family, who no doubt was engaged in their lives of their children, 14 of them became college presidents. 100 became professors. 100 more ministers. 100 more lawyers. And 60 became judges. He said what the study, what the study concluded is that the faith that you have must be shared by you with your children. And it has a significant impact. A great impact of your faith can be shared with your children to impact their future. And those saying is that Christianity is never more than one generation from extinction. So because that probably is true, we always need to share our faith with our children and our grandchildren. And maybe just don't assume that someone else is. Take an opportunity to share your faith. And what opportunity we have then to share our faith is with a memorial, a blessing that maybe God has done for us. It's referred to in the text in verse 6 and 7. It says, when your children ask in the time to come, which children will do, what do these stones mean to you? He says, you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people a, a, of Israel a memorial forever. It gave a chance for them to explain to the children what happened. So by building a memorial of significant event, of God's blessing, children were given a chance to ask what it meant. They seen it. For them, it was a signpost, and they began to explain. And mentioning the signpost at least a second reason to build a memorial. That we need to build a memorial to be a sign to the world of God's goodness. I mean, the fact is this. There's way too much negativity pronounced in the world. It seems that if the news has something they want to tell you about, it's going to be something negative. And with so much the anti-Christian messages seem to be abounding, we need a signpost in our world telling and illustrating and commemorating God's goodness that he gives to us. I mean, you probably heard another saying like the one before about Christianity is never more than one generation from extinction. Another saying is this. A picture is worth a thousand words, right? But a picture is your signpost. In essence, it's visible for all to see. So then think about signposts. I mean, take a moment and think about any memorial, any kind of statue, any kind of signpost that you see anywhere in the world. I mean, there's many. Many significant memorials about the country, of many different facets of life. I mean, for example, take sports. All right. Sports has plenty of memorials. If you go to Bush Stadium, all right, you're going to find signposts, statues of at least 11. Did you know there's at least 11 statues outside Bush Stadium to celebrate? Remember the days gone by of old great Cardinal players and of the championships they had? I mean, people like Enos Slaughter and Dizzy Dean, Rogers Hornsby, Lou Brock, Bob Gibson. Ozzie Smith, and Ted Simmons, and many more. The Cardinals have a great baseball history, and they celebrate that. And remember, by all these statues being outside Bush Stadium. Now, my brother Tom is not here this morning. I can't help but pick on the Cubs. Him and Penny might be listening later, so i got to include this. You know the Cubs don't have as many memorials 
because they don't have as many championships. They don't have as many great players. But I did a little research, and I found, well, they're not without a few. Even the Cubs outside Wrigley Field have a few. There's Ernie Banks and Virgie Jenkins, Ron Santo, and Billy Williams. And that's about it. But at least they have some people they can think back to in the glory days. It just happens to be far and few between for the Cubs. They need more Cardinal baseball history. But notice how there are signposters, statues that give a chance to celebrate, remember the days gone by. We even have personal signposts in our life. Like for me, example, if you come to Princeton and walk into my house, which you're welcome to at any time, we're doing a lot of remodeling, sometimes a mess. But when you walk in the front door, you're going to see a couple of deer heads. All right, they're on the wall, pronounced proudly for everybody to see, I did that. That's right, I did that. Sheila has a little bitty buck that she was able to be able to shoot this past year. We didn't mount that thing. Maybe when she grows up and she gets a bigger buck, we can mount that one and put it on the wall. Of an accomplishment, a monument, a testimony. Yes, that I did that. So when you come into the house, walk into the office, you're going to see all these different signposts of the days in which I would spend probably too much time and money doing the hunting. Personal signposts. But there are also military signposts. The reason we actually have the holiday. There's the Iwo Jima for the Marines. There is a Vietnam War monument and memorial. Veterans Memorial Wall. World War II Memorial. The USS Arizona Memorial. There's actually a Women in Military Services for America Memorial. One for the Air Force, one for Navy, the list goes on and on. Of military memorials and statues that we have to commemorate a very special time. We even have government memorial. The Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, Jefferson Memorial. There's all around us signposts that tell us the significant events that occurred. That people erect a memorial, a monument, a signpost of some kind to simply remember. So observe then that these signposts pertaining at times to historical events or some things maybe special to us in life have been made. So doesn't it make sense then for us to at least consider making a signpost to God's blessing and goodness he's given to us? I mean, yes, it does make sense. And when we build a signpost and allows others to see it, it provides an opportunity for us then to glorify God, to share his love and grace with other people. As you hear that, maybe you're saying, okay, I'm beginning to get the picture here, beginning to hear you understand that what kind of things would a blessing then perhaps be that I could maybe have in life which would maybe result in be considering to build a monument, a memorial for that great blessing. Well, let's consider a few. I mean, has God ever healed your body from something? Then just build a memorial. Has God ever delivered you from alcohol or drugs? Build a memorial. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit because you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord? Just build a memorial. Has he ever pulled you out of the deep, miry clay and set your feet on solid rock? Build a memorial. 
Has God ever met an astonishing financial need for you at a moment when you least expected it? What a blessing. Build a memorial. Any time that God really blesses you is worthy to build a memorial. I mean, there's multiple examples. We go on and on and on about times in which God has acted in our lives that is worthy of time to build a memorial. I mean, simply stated, build a memorial of the great things that God has done for you in your life. He is good to us. We are not so good to him, but he's still good to us. And he blesses us beyond measure. Our blessings are even too numerous to count. When we didn't deserve it, God blessed us. So what kind of thing constitutes a memorial? In case I'm getting it, I need to maybe receive this blessing and then I need to go about maybe making a memorial. I begin to entertain this thought in my mind, but what would then constitute a memorial? What, what, what kind of thing are you talking about with a signpost? Well, just use your imagination. I mean, it could be maybe a, a tree you plant upon a special occasion. And, and maybe put a plaque or reference to it about what it was that happened in your life that made you do that. Or, or maybe you just buy something like a bird bath, but you put a description on it or near it that talks about the great blessing that you received. Or, or maybe you just have a great flower garden with, with a footpath that goes through the garden of every step that somebody takes, they look down and see the great blessing that God provided for you as you made that inscription on a piece of stone. Again, just use the imagination. Anything is possible. Anything is anything visible can be the signpost. Because a signpost, a memorial of God's goodness is not only visible to others, but notice that it helps us then keep that memory alive for us of something special that happened to us, that God showed us favor. And if you're like me, I mean, our memory is not quite what it used to be. As you get older, it begins to fade a little bit. And we need those signposts to help us remember and maybe even point us to the future and maybe can even restore our faith. So the second reason to build a memorial is that signpost. But then finally and thirdly, then we need to build a memorial because we need memorials to assure us of the victory that is ours. Joshua chapter 4, verse 9. Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there are they are to this day. It's interesting to note here that Joshua, in this text we mentioned earlier, he constructed two monuments. There's two memorials being done here. One on the bank of the river in which they camped. Then there's another one in the midst of the river. There's a rock pile, if you will, in the Jordan River itself. It says it's still there to this day. Now, who can see that but God? We talk about signposts. Who can see the monument, the 12 stones in the midst of the river, but God? I mean, but the people knew it were there, and it stood as a monument to the faith that they had in God. I mean, even though they could not see it physically themselves, they knew it was there. And they remembered then that they had believed in God, and he had worked on behalf of them. It was a monument they had then in their hearts that led them to know that there was victory for them. It's recorded many years ago that President Jimmy Carter was on a tour 
and took him to several different nations. The men who went with him said that the most touching and moving part of the whole trip was when President Carter stopped at Normandy Beach. He said he stood there looking to markers, to monuments, to memorials that had been erected, signifying the tremendous battle that occurred, that changed the tide of human affairs, which switched to victory to our side. The men then that was watching him said it was observed that he was moved to tears as he looked at the monument and thought a great price was paid for our freedom. It was a monument because victory was ours. I can't fully relate to that because I've never served in the armed forces. But there are many memorials to remember that gives us an indication of sacrifice and the victory that is ours of the freedoms that we enjoy each and every day. Sometimes we pass right by these things and don't even casually look over and see them. But they're there. If you leave here later and head west on 64 going to Princeton, and you get in just into Princeton and you come to the courthouse square, but you know there's a monument there, there's a memorial. We drive right by that all the time and never really recognize what it is is commemorated. On the square in Princeton are four statues of men on the southeast corner. I looked at the plaque. It said, erected in 1912 by the citizens of Gibson County in honor of the valor and patriotism of the 2,200 soldiers and sailors who enlisted from Gibson County. Not just from Princeton, but Gibson County, our county. Is that in the Civil War of 1861 to 1865, these men were enlisted. And so the tribute was now to those memory of the 500 who gave the full measure of devotion to their country. We pass by that maybe every time we go through there on Highway 64 and hardly even look over and notice it. But it's there to help us remember the victory was ours. You can go to Vincennes and see the George Rogers Clark Memorial, or you can go down to Evansville and find the Korean War Memorial on Riverside. People pass by all these things all the time, but they're there to help us remember that there's a victory in our lives. I mean, we have victory, and that's reason to celebrate and honor those who gave us that victory. And that's certainly then a reason to make sure that we take time out during this particular weekend, Memorial Day weekend, to remember the faithful soldiers, men and women, who fought for us and died for us. Take a glance at that memorial, that statue that sometimes we just pass by. We stop and reflect and recognize it's there to help us remember that victory is ours. That we have the freedoms we have. Not every country in this world has the things that we have, the freedom. They don't have the victories that we have. But as we begin to do that, maybe this afternoon, sometime this weekend, also recognize this, that as Christians, simultaneously as Christians, we have yet another freedom given to us. And Jesus spoke about the link between freedom and truth in John 8.32. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But the truth then is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to serve, to die for all of mankind, who then defeated and conquered death. And accepting this truth will indeed set everyone free. 
And of course, the ultimate signpost of Jesus, the freedom he gives to us, is the cross. The cross is the ultimate signpost and monument of our victory. A constant reminder of what Jesus did on our behalf. I mean, how can you ever look at a cross and not remember that sacrifice and the fact that we are victorious? The same really should be true of the flag. How can you look at the flag, the American flag, and not realize that there's some who gave all? All gave some. Some gave all. To help us remember that we are victorious. You know, summarize maybe this whole message and recognize that at the cross, Jesus gave all that he had so that we could be set free. And with our military men and women, there are those who gave all that we could remain free. What I'm saying then is this, that as this weekend begins to pass, slow it down a little bit. Yeah, the message tells us that maybe we should build a, an erect a memorial because we are blessed. But recognize more than that, as Americans and Christians, we are doubly free. We have double freedom and we are doubly victorious. So today, this weekend, sometime, pause, reflect, recognize your blessings. That you, as an American, and you as a Christian, you are doubly blessed because someone went and fought for your freedom that gives us the right to be able to do anything we want to, even protest our government. And then Jesus paid the price for all of us to give us complete freedom. It's worthy to commemorate. It's worthy, certain to reflect upon. And to see that we truly are blessed, doubly blessed, and maybe even build or erect a memorial. Father, Lord, thank you for the message today. It's maybe quite simple for us just to reflect back on and remember that there are blessings that occur to us. And that perhaps at times, Lord, we may be guilty of taking some of these blessings for granted. Then simply that we shouldn't take them for granted. Every blessing in some way, Lord, needs to be recognized. Yes, maybe there are those times when there's a great miracle to the occurred, And now we see that perhaps when that great miracle occurs in our lives, that it's worthy to remember it by making a signpost or memorial. Lord, others may think it's crazy, may think that we're kind of a lunatic if we do so. But Lord, let us not worry about what others think. Let's just do something to be able to bring glory to you and even point others to you. So let's be bold, maybe even courageous to somehow, some way, make a signpost so others know the blessings you give to us and how maybe they in turn can receive that blessing for themselves. So, Lord, let's be thankful for this message today to remind us of that. But let's also be thankful today again, Lord, for those men and women that gave their very life for our freedom that we enjoy in this great country. Let's be most thankful for Jesus, who died for all of us. A humiliating death upon the cross. But the cross, Lord, is a symbol that gave us the freedom that we also enjoy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.